Close Watch, episode 13. Rob here. On this episode, we're joined by podcaster Jeremiah Stewart to discuss the 1988 fantasy adventure Willow. Uh, this was directed, of course, by Ron Howard and produced by George Lucas. And the movie became a cult classic. I'm one of the part of the generation that grew up with this movie. Uh, probably saw it too early of an age, which we'll get into. And of course, it's getting a sequel series in the fall of 2022 on Disney+. Plus. So it's definitely a good time to brush up on all your Willow lore. Uh, as always, you can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and other podcatchers, as well as CrookedTable.com. Uh, go ahead and give us a rating review whenever you're listening to this. For now, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump into our conversation about Willow. It was a different time. It was a time of destiny. A time when a child could tip the balance between good and evil. Why, with my powers, with the strength of my great army, can you not find one little child? A time for an unlikely hero named Willow. Tell her I'm not gonna let anything happen to the baby. We gotta give that baby to somebody. I'm somebody. A time of scoundrels. What goes on here? Uh-oh. And a time of rebels. You are great. You're gonna get us killed. You're a great warrior. And a swordsman. And you're ten times bigger than I am, stupid. Find the child. Find the child. It was a time when courage could be found where you'd least expect it. <laughs> a time when unearthly powers raged and good men risked their lives. Time of great adventure. From the creator of Star Wars and the director of Cocoon, Willow. Welcome to Close Watch, where we get to know our guests through the movies they love. On this episode, we're going to be talking about 1988's Willow, and I'm honored to welcome to the show Jeremiah Stewart. Welcome to the show. Thank you. This is this is gonna be fun. This is a movie that people don't talk about enough. At least no, no, but they positively. will be soon. <laughs> they will be soon, I think, in a few months, which we'll get into. So tell people a little bit about who you are and everything you have going on in the world. Oh boy, I have a lot. So I'm a father. I have three young kids who might be banging down a door eventually. You might hear them. <laughs> I'm a, I work in public education. I'm a school counselor at middle in middle school level by trade. Worked in mental health for a very long time. Well, very long time as in like since I was like 14. Let's just put it that way. I grew up reading, reading fantasy, reading science fiction, a lot of books in my house, like 10,000 plus books in my house. We actually counted them one time and uh, grew up, grew up with this movie and a lot of other aspects of it very, very much in my life. And uh, yeah, that, that, that's, that's succinctly, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know when we were, we've been talking about doing a podcast together for a long time. I went in my in my Facebook message history and I was like, oh, 
oops, that's been this has been kind of on the books for a long time. So I my apologies to you for making that take so long before we got to this point. It's just, it's one of those things that I, I check and then forget to get back to and all that. So I'm glad, first of all, I'm glad you're finally here. And and, and talking about a movie that, uh, you know, a lot of people growing up around this, around, you know, the, the time of this film, I think have it has a kind of a special place in their heart. And it's also in this, this midst of this, you know, these mid eighties, like dark fantasy children's films, you know, we'll talk about, you know, when people talk about this movie, it's often brought up in in the realm of like Labyrinth, which is also a Lucas production, or like Return to Oz, which, which yeah, Legend. A lot of these, a lot of these movies that are sort of in a similar wheelhouse. What is you know when we were talking about having you on the show, what is it about Willow specifically that made it come up as one of the ones that you you were excited to talk about? Well. So I, I'm I'm a child of the '80s, as in I was born in the '80s. Not that my childhood was in the '80s. Yeah, I always um, I was born in '83. So, I always feel like you have to clarify that, you know, like '80s, I was born, born in '87, '90s, '90s kid, technically, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I was born in '87, and I didn't grow up in a house with a TV. I think we had a TV when I was eight-ish or so. Okay. And what we used to do is we'd borrow those little tiny like 12-inch TVs with like a, a VCR on the bottom yeah. from a neighbor and we'd watch movies. We had Star Wars was pretty much the movies we owned until we got a TV. And But Willow was one that we'd borrow from our neighbor who had it recorded on VHS from HBO, you know, like we all used to do in the 80s yep. and 90s. So much. And in fact, it was the first time I ever saw it on like Crystal you know, a, a proper print on DVD, I think. I probably had it been DVD. Had it been DVD. It looked weird to me. So I was like, wait, why is it so clear? Where's the, <laughs> the math? And so it's a movie I grew up watching a lot as a kid, including like those abridged audio versions of it that they released a lot of. You get it from, we get it from the library all the time, you know, with like the, with the, some of the clips in the movie. And then they summarize it in like, what, 30 minutes or something? Yeah. And we had the board game, which I played a ton as a kid and and a young adult and so it's just a, a, a franchise that's always kind of like been around for me and i've always kind of gravitated towards and uh, i i appreciate it outside of one aspect which i might get into grumpily later Ooh, okay no no <laughs> I, I first of all i i love that that you got to this movie a, a little bit you know in like the in like the mid 90s because i like i said i was born in 83 so i feel like this probably hit VHS or as you alluded to so many movies my my aunt who lives in New York she she had all the channels so she would record lots of stuff and then mail us lots of VHSs with movies taped off of exactly HBO and things like that yep. so I'm pretty sure that's the way I saw this movie the most growing up as well I feel like it came out when I was probably five or six and this is kind of marketed as a kids movie and I would say it's you know, it's kid friendly, but it's not what you would think of as a kid's movie now. Cause, you know, and, and that's something that I definitely want to talk about as this conversation goes on. Yeah, uh, kid friendly, but there are moments that would make that depending on the kid could give them straight up nightmares. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and my wife and I, we always use the because uh, we have a, a five year old, five and a half year old and a, and a 10 month old as of this recording. And we always use the justification like, well, we were, you know, five, six, seven, whatever it was when X movie came out. So I guess she's, she's, you know, she should be old enough with that, that <laughs> at that point. And I'm like, well, I, we just saw them when it came out. It doesn't mean we were the right age to watch it. We actually did watch this with her, with our five-year-old. And she was a little nervous going into it. And, and, but then during the movie, she was just like, oh, I love this. This is a great movie. Like she was really into it. And I think 
it's it's interesting how the notion of children's entertainment has changed. But I I find it I find it interesting how you came to it a little bit later. I was like five, six, like the age that my parents would have put this on when it was hitting VHS and sort of, I guess, slowly getting an audience. Because this movie wasn't, it wasn't a huge box office draw, even though it was Ron Howard and George Lucas. George Lucas. Yeah, yeah, these big filmmakers. Special effects that were like the, the morph. This movie did the morph. Which is yeah. you know something they've used. You know, it doesn't look as good in this movie, but it's the first time they did it, at least on a on a major Hollywood film. Which I, I, it, there could be some things that are you know they were done earlier, but definitely the morph came from this one. And uh, but coming out of George Lucas, though, like you think it would be bigger than it was, but they right. haven't really done much with it. Like video game wise, I think there was a an Atari game. It wasn't a good one though. Actually, I think there was one on NES and one one of them done by Capcom. None of them were good. Right. And then you think there'd be novels, which there were, which we'll talk about those later. And then there was the board game, one board game, just one, which was a good one. It's about 1988. We've, you know, it's one that I love. But you think this would be bigger than it was because, like, this was made by Lucas to be his Lord of the Rings because he was told he can't make Lord of the Rings. As so he said, while well, making Willow, subtly not Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that was that's in my notes too. Like, wow, this is so clear that Lucas was like, I'm going to make a Lord of the Rings style thing. The Nelwins are very obviously sort of hobbit adjacent and i think a lot of that is just sort of fantasy archetypes but i you know it still works in this context for sure and this had val kilmer coming off of his top three his first three movies he was in were top secret real genius top gun and then willow Mm -hmm. like you can't get much higher than that as far as like this type of movie audience and you know so he was coming off of that i believe this is where he met joanne wally who he married for a few years yeah, like 80, I think it was like 88 to like 90, something, 92 or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so they were, they, were, they were riding pretty high. This was Warwick Davis's basically coming out party as far as like a starring role. Because he was, of course, in Return of the Jedi, but he was a, in a suit. You know, little right. Kid. Yeah, exactly. The other thing that blows me away watching this now, and I always forget this, like I've, I've, I've seen this a lot over the years, obviously, is that Warwick Davis was 17 years old when he made this movie, which I think you forget just... Is it because he? I, I don't know. He. I don't know if he has a much more mature face, or or it's just the way he carries himself. But he comes across like at least you know twenties, late mid to the mid twenties or something. And so the fact that he's seventeen years old making this just like a few years after Return of the Jedi is crazy. Yeah, yeah. He's and uh, he, yeah, he definitely does not have. He seems very mature for a seventeen-year-old. Mm-hmm. He looks like he'd be like one of those high school students in a eighties movie. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Movie. Another cool thing about this movie: this was filmed. By the guy who had just done Aliens and Princess Bride. Wow. Yeah. Of course, Aliens was the guy's first movie. But, you know, this is filmed by a very well-known cinematographer who also did stuff like 1492 Conquest of Paradise, if you remember that movie. He did Event Horizon. He did some Bond movies like Bill's Not Enough. He did The Mummy with Stephen Sommers, Mummy Returns, Reign of Fire. I think the last movie he did, I think he died while filming, it was V for Vendetta. Yeah, Um, Adrian Biddle. I see here, yeah. Yeah, V from Dead, I think, was released posthumously. But, you know, every like every piece of this movie is gold, you know, like individual pieces. But for some reason, people didn't, didn't like how it can do. Even James Horner gave an awesome score for this movie, which they need to release properly, which I believe they're actually just announced they're going to be doing that soon. Nice. Yeah, finally. There, there's, there are so many, there are so many, so much movie music from the 80s 
you know, that has just disappeared with time. I just recorded for my other show. We're doing the Muppet films and we just talked about the Muppets Take Manhattan, which was never released on CD at all. And the movie, which is only on Tubi, and it's from a similar a similar era. So I don't know what, what's going on with 80s music, but I'm glad that we're getting sort of a resurgence of so much of that. But, you know, this film, as we said, wasn't particularly huge at the box office, sort of exploded on home video, and then it's gradually kind of become a cult favorite. What is it? What What is it that made you keep coming back to this? Obviously, you you know, you've seen Star Wars, you knew about the Lucas connection. Was that maybe part of its appeal? Or is there something specific about this story or, or this production that that stuck out in your mind with all the other sci-fi you were consuming? Um, well, some of it is fantasy wise. Until Lord of the Rings came out, good fantasy was really hard to come by. Mm. Really hard. Like, you think about the 80s. I did not like Legend. It was too weird. It didn't really have, like, the tropes. I like. It's kind of weird. Labyrinth was kind of weird. Uh, Very weird. It's a weird movie. Black Cauldron, I guess, was kind of close to this one. But then I read the books and got disappointed because they kind of condensed, like, three books into the plot of one. It was... That's when I wish Disney would return to. We'll talk Black Calder in another time. But, you know, think about like what, what other big fantasy movies did they have? They had like, what, Dragonheart? Dragonheart just didn't do it for me. And so Willow was the one I had. And I really mm-hmm. liked Mad Mardigan. Val Kilmer was solid in this one. It was fun. I remember being 12 and having a crush on Sorsha, which helped. That gets a lot of adolescence in the movies. Even Val and, Kilmer on set. Yeah. So, you know, understandable. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I could quote it. Even now I try to quote it to my wife and she's like, stop quoting Anything Val Kilmer says in that tent. <laughs> Stop it. It was it, 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 it was just a, a fun movie, and especially in a time where fantasy really wasn't looked on upon as anything like worth seeing. Mm-hmm. And even then, like even since Lord of the Rings, how many fantasy movies have really done well? TV shows, yes. And I watch a lot yeah. of those. But like fantasy movies outside of like Marvel adjacent ones, there's not that many. And you had like what seemed like it was going to be an explosion of fantasy films in 2001 when both Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter started. And And then every YA series or fantasy series they tried and almost other than maybe Narnia, which kind of struggled to get three, uh, I think three out of the like what, seven or however many stories there are. Some of those books I could never see them actually adapting. But Narnia kind of fizzled, I think because they they switched studios and it just took too long and it's hard to keep kids the right age. But like, uh, uh, unless you want something that's very like, very niche genre, like stuff like Solomon Kane or Conan, it's really not that much other than Asian ones. Asian films have it like Forbidden Kingdom and so on. And we had some of the Greek mythology ones which work, but like yeah, there really hasn't been a lot that's not done by, that's not Tolkien or Harry Potter. I'm just trying to look through a quick list right now if I can find anything that really stands out that's like straight up fantasy, not like Big Fish or something like that. Right, Never ending right. stories in the 80s before this one, which is a bit different of a movie. Not sadder. Yeah, um, <laughs> the 80s, like I, like I was sort of alluding to, a lot of the ones I was mentioning were were really like a a smorgasbord of fantasy entertainment. Again, mostly marketed towards kids, but then beyond that... I really think you're you're hitting on something. I feel like in the 90s and beyond, everything that's even remotely fantasy, like I literally just Googled fantasy movies and then on the top where it says popular fantasy movies, it's all either, you know, a, a Disney animated film like Raya and the Last Dragon or yep. superhero stuff, pretty much. It's, so I'm, I'm trying to think about, I list them. I just looked at my movie shelf and then it's looking over there. Stardust is one I, I quite liked. That's a good one. It's definitely yeah. this type of fantasy movie. Spiderwick Chronicles, actually that's a, Fairly good movie as well. Bridge to Terabithia, which is a different type of fantasy movie. 
especially if you don't know what that movie is going in, I'll look it up first. Mm-hmm. It might hit you in a very unexpected way. Yeah, these are pretty much all, or something like, you know, Peach Dragon, which is a different type of fantasy. The Green Knight, which is not my type of fantasy. Pan's Labyrinth, which I appreciate, but it's not the same as Willow. No, no, it's a, it's very much, that's, yeah, that's not even remotely for children. <laughs> a Monster Calls, which is similar to Bridge to Terabithia, or like yeah. I Killed Giants. So, like, straight up fantasy, we don't get a lot. Now, on TV, we've gotten a glut of it, which, you know, we've had, what, Legend of the Seeker, we've had Shannara, we've had Game of Thrones, we have Wheel of Time, we have Shadow and Bone, we have The Witcher. Uh, there's a lot and there's a lot more yeah. coming, but I think the other one that failed was like golden compass and so on. It's just Willow kind of, it's its own thing for a while. And uh, it kind of, it's kind of stuck that way. Once you see a movie enough, even if better ones come later, it's kind of like it's in your blood by then. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was going to, I was going to say, do you think that perhaps Hollywood saw comic book movies, superhero movies as the like new fantasy because I'm other than a couple titles, I we're hard we're having a hard time coming up with any that came out post, you know, nine nine post 1989's Batman, for example. So do you think that that came out and then everyone in Hollywood was just like, "Oh, this is going to be our new fantasy supernatural thing. It's just all superheroes." And then it's just now obviously with the MCU and the DCU it's really kind of snowballed into uh, taking over the entire industry yeah i'd say most fantasy if you see it now it would be horror or superhero related and then there's you know science fiction which just always stayed kind of big but yeah fantasy itself i think for now is just gonna be on tv which I, I guess works for right now but yeah the other thing is like a movie like uh, a movie like willow when they try to bring it back when they can do effects better not that this movie exactly they've done it yet that's coming later but they, when they bring these type of things back, they don't always do as well as they want. Like we talk about Narnia. Narnia the first Narnia movie made gangbusters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. $700, $800 million. The second one made about $500 million, which is fine. They just advertised it as Lord of the Rings, which is the, not the best move. And then the third one, they spent way too long and it opened, and it made like $300 million or something like that, which is okay compared to most YA movies nowadays because I think $300 million is like what, what Maze Runner also even combined made. Yeah. But budgets, yeah. of course, are, are a lot different. And uh, can they afford to do the budget? But I do wonder with the new technology they have with like Mandalorian, where they have the pre-rendered screens. The volume, I think they, they call it. Yeah. Yeah, the volume. Yeah. Because what they used to do, of course, people don't know, they had the green screens where they put in everything in post. Now they render it pre. So like when they're going, that's the light from the volume. So the effects are already in there originally, which makes it very hard to change a scene later because it's already pre-done. Right, but it makes it so the effects and so on are a lot easier to do, and you can actually have something to react to and see. I wonder with that if they can make fantasy work a bit better. But to be fair, if you look on like any, there's whole streaming services of just fantasy. You know, like there's low lower budget fantasy films which people make on a dime that look pretty good, and a lot of European ones. So, but for this, Willow is fun, and plus I really grew up liking George Lucas's style. It's it's not very deep. It's very tropey. Right. But they're tropes for a reason. Yeah. Mad, Mad Mardigan is, is pretty obviously an, uh, a Han Solo type, I guess. Yeah. You know, that roguish sort of the rogue with the heart of gold kind of thing. And, and but I mean, like you said, it, it works. There's this, there's, you know, he, he was his idea from, you know, from what I understand, it was very much to bring the, that sort of high fantasy mythology 
to a new audience because it had it had been a while since this kind of story had been told and especially with these you know more at the time modern state-of-the-art effects you mentioned the morphing a lot of the the practical effects here the makeup and you know the way that the way that they were able to do films in the 80s especially fantasy films i feel like it had it is really resonated with fans not only at the time but even now you know by contrast to all the you know computer generated effects that that really dominate now people go really kind of i don't know cherish this this sort of era of filmmaking where that was that was really where it was where it was at but lucas seemed very determined to sort of bring lord of the rings and uh, you know the hidden fortress and things like that bring that kind of storytelling back to Hollywood and, you know, things like this and obviously Star Wars were, were sort of chief amongst them. Yeah. So one thing with this one that definitely appealed to me more is, so I grew up reading, like I, I read, listened to, and so on Lord of the Rings growing up, like we had audiobooks and like the NPR audio dramas for like Lord of the Rings. I listened sure. to that to go falling asleep since I was basically three or four. Star Wars as well, the, the, the NPR, BBC ones audiobooks in general. I listened to Lord of the Rings, Redwall, all this type of stuff. Like basically since I was old enough to listen to stuff, I learned I taught myself to sleep listening to audiobooks on cassette because they would turn off, you know, after a side. And so I remember watching watching Willow and then I watched that 1978 Lord of the Rings movie, the Batchy one. The animated one, yeah. And that movie just like offended me to my core. Uh, like <laughs> I've not because it compressed annoyed. so much of the story down, it or, or it looked it looked bad to me. It compressed a lot. Yeah. It ended like it doesn't end where the Return of the King one, which I grew up listening to on like record and stuff, the like the picture book where you could turn it and the record will you know play it for you. I grew right. up with that, and it doesn't end where that one starts. And so like, what the heck? Like that's not where there's a gap. Yeah. Um, and like it wasn't as good as a Hobbit, which I also grew up with. It, this Willow was a lot better than that. And so I kind of gave up on Lord of the Rings there. And it, it like, I wasn't excited for Peter Jackson's one. I actually saw it on a field trip in eighth grade. And that one was rock, was awesome. But <laughs> like, it was hard to get excited for it. So Willow being the fact that it was actually good. And I grew up with, you know, games and heck, even coloring books that had deleted scenes in it. Uh, right. Which was weird. There's a lot of stuff in coloring books. Sad. Like, why is this not in the movie? Um, <laughs> like, there's like there's you know, a coloring book where Finn Rizal, yeah, not Finn, yeah, not Finn Rizal, uh, Bav Morda is going to Tira's lean and freezes the king, who is the mother, who's the father of Sorsha, and her ex-husband. Like, that's not in the movie. You don't know that from the movie. Yeah. That's no, not at all. That herself. That's in the coloring book for this. A kid's coloring book. There's also like a shark thing, like a shark kid. Like, what the heck? Which you find out in the audio commentary on the DVD, I think it was, where they mentioned some of these deleted scenes. But yeah, there, there was just a lot of fun with this one. And it was just, just in my vocabulary. And, I don't, and this one and like Jurassic Park was just kind of, and Star Wars were just constantly played for myself. Yeah, no, absolutely. Do you do you think part of that allure was that, well, I'm never going to get Lord of the Rings, a proper Lord of the Rings adaptation this is an original story, so it has less pressure and it's giving me a lot of the tropes, a lot of what I would expect from, from a film adaptation of Lord of the Rings with, again, at the time, sort of state-of-the-art effects. Do you think that was part of why this appealed to you so much as a kid? Probably not. I don't I don't, I don't. don't think that would necessarily go. I, I just think I just legit enjoyed it and then I, I kept on wanting to consume stuff. But I'm the kind of person that, though I own a lot of movies and stuff, I keep on going back to my old favorites a lot. Mm -hmm. Like I'll rewatch something like Independence Day a lot more than 
finding something new. And it makes it really hard to, you know, get into newer things. But when I do, I kind of attach to it right. and see it a lot. And Willow's just one that I, I kind of attach to. And, you know, maybe it's because there's not all this extra media with it. There's no extra video games. There's no extra books and so on to saturate. Because like with Star Wars, for example, I can watch those movies. I can also read books, play video games, read comics, and kind of pick and choose what I want to do when. Willow is just Willow. There's, mm-hmm. there's Willow. There's a board game. And there's three novels that should be deleted from time. <laughs> I think I read that even Lucas has sort of disowned those novels, like or or someone involved in the production was like, "Yeah, let's that doesn't that didn't happen." Well, the thing with like with the novels though is he co- he wrote them with Chris Claremont, like Chris yeah. Claremont from X Men, Shadow Moon, Shadow Dawn, Shadow Star. They came out in the mid '90s to 2000. They killed Mad Madigan and Sorsha off in the first like five pages. They call Willow Thorn throughout the entire thing. I just don't understand what he was thinking. Thorn as opposed to Peck, like, because is that supposed to be, because like, it's an innuendo? What were they thinking? I don't understand exactly what's it's the, weird. They're kind of weird. Yeah, and like, strange. even like at a point now, we're like, oh, maybe I should re- revisit them to see if they're better than I remember. But you can't get them on like Audible or anything like that. Like, I can't, I don't recall if I can find them on Kindle. So it's like, they've tried to like erase them. Make them go away. <laughs> when George Lucas doesn't like something, it goes away. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the holiday special, uh, the Star Wars holiday special lives on on like YouTube, but you're never getting in anything re- re- remotely official out of that. Even now with Disney, I think they're like, yeah, let's just, we'll keep, we'll keep that as, uh, as is. Uh, those, those novels are now legend, Willow legend, and this is going to be Willow canon, I guess. <laughs> and also with this one, like, there's a lot of like costume. Like I'm a person who likes, like I can enjoy something by just the design of it. Sure. Like, for example, I watch stuff like, say, Avatar a lot because, like, the design of mechs and so on is just awesome. I like that. You know, this one, you know, there's lots of stuff that I, lots of looks I just loved going on. Like, I love Kale's Death Head helmet. I like Sorsha's, like, sword, the serpentine sword with, like, the spikes on the back. Like, mm-hmm. that thing just has to be gross to go into someone. This has to be, you know, stuff like acorns that turn people to stone. You know, there's just a lot of design elements in this one that hit me really well to make it so, like, most other things I just don't really mind anymore. Yeah. Yeah, there's an imagination and, and tangibility, I think, to this world, too. It's a fantasy world, but it feels not only thematically dark, but also, like, grimy in, in all the right ways, you know? Yeah, and it starts off literally with, like, someone giving birth and escaping. And then, like, these death dogs, which they don't, I don't think they call them death dogs in the movie. They call them death dogs in the audiobook. They, yeah. Death dogs chasing after them are actually, like, uh, Rottweilers covered in mask and sheep wool it actually looks hilarious but i i yeah. I, mean, I grew up with like doctor who I, that can be hilarious all you want you know killing her right then and there which that's not something you usually just see in a movie oh like i'm used to disney movies killing parents but not like dogs ripping a lady to pieces at the beginning right exactly no it's that's the other thing i wanted to touch on like it's very it's very almost biblical at the beginning of this there's a prophecy and and the baby's born and they send the baby like off in a basket kind of thing. It's very Moses in a way, but it's also, it, it's, it boggles my mind in a way that this became such a cult favorite among children because the whole thing is like, yeah, these, all these kids, we need to, we need to kill this kid immediately. It's just like, how, what do you think, how do you think that this, this became such a popular thing for kids, especially considering that it's kids are sort of the main the main story is there's a child under threat. Do you think that's part of the allure of it? Like, ooh, that sounds dark and sort of grown up. Was that the case for you? No, actually, that's probably something that was keeping some kids away because parents just see the opening minutes and say no. I actually think 
the brownies and the Nell winner what get kids in here because Nell winner just fun. You, know, you have the wizard who's you know like go to the direction the bird is flying. Yeah, forget the bird. Go by, follow the river. You know, <laughs> babies, birds pooping on people's faces and babies vomiting. You know that sort of stuff kids like. And then the brownie, you know, are you know they they're legit comedic actors and they're just a lot of fun. They bring that that sort of thing in there. Well, Mad Mardigan. Sorsha, Af Morda, and so on. They're set there. For, they're there for the adults, while the other ones are for the kids. And I think it's a good kind of mix of light and dark that worked really well with Star Wars. Yeah, and I think it works pretty well here. I, I just I also found out just recently that Val Kilmer ad libbed pretty much all his dialogue in this movie. Isn't that crazy? He's he's a really he's really fun in this for sure. Yeah, and you know I remember what there's a scene that my parents were actually really worried I was going to be scared about when I was a kid. The the with the I'll turn him into pigs. Yeah, because that could be quite terrifying because they do a pretty good job of it but it never really affected me as a kid i think it's because i knew it was coming because i had listened to like the the audio thing from the library like i'd done with like indiana jones and like gremlins and so on you know this when you once you know what's coming it's not really going to affect you as much mm. and so it's just kind of fun but i did find out on the on the commentary if you've never listened to it so the pigs when they transformed them they kept on mating trying to mate and so they had to spray them down with water to keep them separate while they were filming <laughs> <laughs> a lot of pigs in one place. I mean, you know, pigs have needs too. I get it. No, it's so funny that you mentioned the pig thing because as a kid, I, I, again, I saw this probably five or six or something that I, that did freak me out. And that's something that I watching it as an adult because the until recently when Disney purchased Fox and this was when went, went up on Disney Plus and all this other stuff. Now it it was hard to find this movie. Like it, it, we had to. My wife and I like tracked it down at like a used dvd store that's like down the way and and that's how we acquired a copy of it but I, even then i remembered the pig thing because it did freak me out as a kid the 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 transition from you know human to to pig I, it's the the middle pieces of that of that transformation are, are really sort of nightmare fuel in a way and but i you know in the best way i'd say and even you know near the end there's the uh, i guess wizard wizard battle the sorceress mm -hmm. versus sorceress battle Totally. You know, that's honestly, I think that's better than the one that has Gandalf versus Saruman, you know, where they're just going nuts with the wands and striking each other around. I thought that was more fun than what we got in Lord of the Rings with Wizard versus Wizard. But to be fair, Lord of the Rings never claims to be that type of movie or right. books. But, you know, that one got really dark, too, because, you know, they're clawing at each other. They're, you know, trying to literally destroy each other. It made um, me think of sort of the the sword in the stone. There's I forget the name of the other witch, but there's Merlin and and there's a witch, and they have they sort of like transforming each other into different animals. Yes. It's it's sort of in that vein, I think a little bit. And the fact that they want to like literally sacrifice, they don't want to kill the baby. They want to sacrifice the baby, it right. condemn the the soul to whatever hellish world they want to send it to. Them. Yeah, it, it, it was dark, but I. I'm not exactly, yeah, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why it never really affected me. James Horner's score is a really good one in this one, though. Yeah, absolutely. And he used it a lot in a lot of his trailers for things. And yeah, to say this movie affected me would, would be, put mildly, now it's one of the movies that I try to get my kids to like and they don't want to. Mm -hmm. I think it's because this was a glut of other things to watch right now. And there's YouTube where they can put on whatever thing they want to find. Yeah. You know, maybe it's one that I can get them to watch when it comes to the TV show once I see it first, because I don't want to you know, terrify anyone. But this is also one of those movies kind of like Star Wars where a lot of the names and lore that you see, you don't actually get from the movie, you get from other things. Mm -hmm. Like the uh, the dragon, the two-headed dragon, that's called an Eborisk. You don't know that from the movie. You know that from later stuff. That's actually named after Siskel and Ebert. Um, nice. 
you know, you don't know death dogs until you look at it later. I learned that from the board games. Like, oh, those are death dogs. You know, they don't actually use all these names in there. I think Lucas just wanted to put it there and then see where it goes from there. Because he thought this movie would make like ET money, which it definitely did not. I think he went against Crocodile Dundee 2 and Rambo 3. The one, 3, yeah. The one in Afghanistan. And this didn't do as well versus them. But, uh, you know, he, I think he expected to say, here's what it is. And now I'm going to add stuff to it later. So I'm really excited what they're going to do on Disney Plus with that show. Because Ron Howard's involved, Warwick Davis is involved. But watching the trailer, I really don't know what the heck they're doing, which is, I guess, a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it, Joanne, Joanne Wally is, seems like she's back as Sorsha. So that, that's, that's cool as well. I, I, I think it, And they can't really use Val Kilmer very well. because Obviously, health reasons, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I guess they could use him, but they... They can't have him talk or anything, right? Uh, which is sad, and that's just—it's just life. They—they—they they, they, he can't talk like that anymore. Right. But I will be interested to see what else they can get back because I know some of these actors have died, but using who they can, and I just wonder where they're going to go with it because this is a movie that definitely has a strong place in Mark Davis's heart because Mark Davis, this movie was written for him. George Lucas wrote it for him, and then this is where he met his father-in-law and he met his future wife. We're on this movie. His kids are in the series coming up. Like his actual kids. Yeah. You know, so this movie has been in this movie that, you know, made him who he is. And of course, after this, I think you got what Leprechaun and stuff. Well, which I guess are his, his two, I, I air quote lead. I would, I would kind of consider the Leprechaun the lead of that. If not the yep. film, the franchise, certainly the title character. That's the reason you go see the movie. But yeah, those are his two, his two big lead roles. I would say it's a lot of other than his like reality television stuff and it popping up in right. basically every fantasy movie known to man from Jack Ink. the Giant Slater, Harry Potter, He's like four or five different characters in Harry yeah. Potter. He's like got to be one of the highest grossing actors of all time. Like you can put all that stuff together. He's like, you know, Sam Jackson level in the amount of franchises. That he, even, he even went into Narnia right after this movie. Because right after this movie, he did the, the BBC did TV miniseries of mm-hmm. Narnia books. I think they did four of them. So one more than we got. And he was in Caspian. He's Reaper Cheap in those ones. Oh, okay. And so he got to be in some of those. He was even in a Zorro TV series, which is kind of weird. He doesn't really fit in that one. But, uh, you know, he, this is the one that launched him and made him who he is. And, uh, you know, he's on, basically, if it's fantasy, he's probably been in it. Even like 10th Kingdom, he was in, if you remember that miniseries. Like, and Merlin, he was definitely in the show Merlin. He's been in Doctor Who as like Emperor of the Universe. He's just been in a lot of things. And this is when it started him. And I, knowing that he's 17 makes it much easier for us to believe that he what he's going to do in the next one because he's only, what, 52, 50 something now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I go, and again, I looking this up recently, I was just floored that I'm like, that he's, you know, I'm I'm 39, that he's only like a decade or so older than me. And then yeah, I, he's been in movies since like I was small, and it's it's amazing that he's he's the longevity of the career that he's had, and the fact that this movie has such an you know an integral role not only for him and his career, but also like this is next level. You know, representation is the thing that everyone's talking about now all the time. Look at the, the representation here as far as far as the little people in this film. There's like what two hundred and you know, over 200, uh, you know, little people in this movie, acting in this movie, Billy Barty and a million other ones, Tony Cox, early yeah. young Tony Cox, long before like Bad Santa and all every other movie he's done. It's it's really cool to, to see that and to see that community sort of represented on screen here. And I think this movie also, you know, like if you want a fantasy movie, you want a good fantasy battle. How many fantasy movies before Lord of the Rings give us an actual legit 
good battle. Like yeah. Dragonheart didn't really give us a good battle. Black Cauldron sure didn't give us a good battle. This one gave us a good battle at the end with you know Eric's army against Kale and Mad Marga going in. There's actually a good battle in there with you know stakes and so on. And you didn't really get that in most of this stuff. And up until then, yeah, some of the lore is definitely lifted and some of it is just outright silly. But if you're having fun, does it really matter? Yeah. You know, one, one funny thing I did find out, you know, John Cusack was runner up for this role, but we lost to Val Kilmer. This would have been a very different movie with John Cusack. I don't think it would have been as fun for me because I, I haven't really been that. I haven't liked him much. Yeah. He's he has such a different energy. Like Val, Kil- like Val Kilmer seems like I don't know. He's got sort of a a raw, not a like a sarcastic wit about him, and and John Cusack. A lot of his characters just seem sort of Dry. disconnected from what's going on around them. And the whole arc of this character is sort of being sucked into the battle and and you know the plight of this dude saving this child and. And caring, you know, com- connecting with Willow and all of that, and obviously the Sorsha thing on top of it. So I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if he would really have been a, a, the best fit for this. I agree. Yeah, and you know, a lot of these ones you have seen in other roles, but this is just where they do it better. Like you know, like Queen Bath Morda is very similar to what we got in Return to Oz. Yeah, but she's just way more fun to this one. They can ham that sucker up. You know, this she was doesn't, she doesn't have a whole way of of heads in this one though. <laughs> Like, that's the other thing. Watching this movie as a kid and watching Return to Oz, Return to Oz, I had, you know, I've seen a a ton as well. And realizing later in life that that's the same actress in both, you're like, oh, wow. She really is just like playing to her strengths in these movies. And also when you think about this one, you know, this inspired people in other ways because like Xena Warrior Princess has an actual episode where she rescues a baby on a river, becomes the baby's protector, to try to protect the baby from an evil king to put them on the throne that she's destined for. Like, yeah. And that was, you know, happened, what, seven, eight years later? So the movie's definitely lived on. The fact that people still remember it, it might not be the one that people, not everyone thinks of fondly, but, you know, I don't know anyone who doesn't like, like when he's sliding down the mountain on the shield and going yeah. through that, that it, even though it ends with a snowball, which I know some people might groan at, but it was fun. You know, the wagon chase with that music kicking in, was great. And then, of course, the jokes about pecs and, you know, yeah, with an acorn who's pointing it at him. Was there, is there a particular character that you resonated with as a kid or, or now even? Has that changed? I think as a kid, I, Val Kilmer was the one I read, Mad Mardigan. Mad Mardigan and Sorsha, I think, are the ones like, since they are like the most legit, like, like actors trying to ground this movie, if they had failed, I think this movie would have fallen apart. But I think those two together work pretty well. Yeah, and then Batmore is a great villain who plays Kale Pat Roche. I think you know? he's just he's 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 a villain who doesn't need a story. He's just there. He has a cool look, much like Boba Fett and lots of. I was just about to say, yeah, <laughs> he just has a cool look, and they go with it. And and then you know the fact that there's names like Burgle Cut, which is just fun to say. But I think also as a kid, I think Frangine and Rule were just fun. Though I didn't get all their jokes as a kid. I definitely got a lot more jokes when I got older, especially a certain scene in a bar, you know, a tavern. With Mad Mardigan dressing up as a woman. Not a woman. <laughs> Boys, meet luck. You know, as a kid, it was like, oh, like he's dressed up as a woman. As an adult, you're like, oh, oh. God. Well, I, I think also one thing that I, I really noticed keyed in on this time is it has similar to Lord of the Rings, that that same sort of theme of 
different species, to people from different walks of life sort of banding together. I, mm-hmm. I love how the, the movie sort of breaks down the the segregation, so to speak, of the Nelwyn and the Daikini. And there's like, oh, he's not one of us. You know, Burglecut is just immediately like, this is not our problem. Let's just, you know, even, even Willow is like, we're just move it along, push it along to drop it off, move the basket somewhere else and pretend we didn't see it. Like, you know, I, I love that, that, that sort of trepidation is broken down and they, they, and you know, they unite for the greater good of, of the kingdom and all of that. I, I, that kind of thing I think is not only a great message for kids, but it's also the, it's the kind of thing that, that makes you emotionally invested in these characters in this world. Now, the one thing that we didn't, that this movie does not do especially well, Mm-hmm. But is like as far as world as far as world building, it does pretty good with Nelwyn. But as far as everyone else, you kind of just get a hint, but you don't get like a really good peek at the world. The one thing Lord of the Rings did really well is like you could go to each area and be like, oh, well, that's a well-designed city. You know, right. like you can see everything. This one you get a peek, but it's clearly built to be a franchise. And so, like, where did Eric come from? Well, we know that their castle got destroyed. We know that's the last of their army. Okay, and, and what you know, what was Tira's lean? Like we know a little bit if you've you know read the comic or whatever. Like you know, get a little bit, but there was a lot. There's a lot more they can do. And one thing that the TV show that Disney Plus is going to do that I'm actually really excited for is get all these little holes filled in, which I know like Star Wars fans, for example, get grumpy at when they're like, "Oh, we're going to fill this hole with this TV show." But with Willow, we've never gotten those holes really filled. Yeah. So yeah. bring it on, fill them. Let's see what you can do. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of gaps that you can play with. And I'm really excited for that because going into something that I have no idea what to expect when it comes to fantasy is exciting because, you know, like Game of Thrones, it took, what, five seasons before I didn't know what was going to happen? Yeah. Uh, Wheel of Time, I know what's supposed to happen. Whether it happens or not is different. Shannara, I knew what was supposed to happen. Shadowbone, no. Witcher, I know what generally is supposed to happen, but they're not really following books anyway. But, you know, I, I kind of know what to expect. But with this one, I don't know where they're going to go. And that's exciting because it means I can be surprised every single week with something that at least will bring me joy. It will it will hurt, though, not having Mad Mardigan there, or at least not Val Kilmer's Mad Mardigan. But mm-hmm. there's nothing we can do about that. There's, there's just, just can't we can't fix that. I do wonder if they're going to try merchandising it again because there's not much merchandise with Willow. But I kind of wish they don't because it's because they've never really had it. Why start now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, just give me it is up. Disney. So who who, who knows? Um, <laughs> it's Lucasfilm and Disney. The same time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, it, that's a good point. It does. It is like one of the, one of the probably most untapped fantasy franchises, as far as the fact that there has been the one movie is that it's never been a, a, you know, uh, a filmed franchise, at least, you know, the novels, again, most fans don't, those don't exist. And then you yeah. have, you know, video games adaptations and that's about it. Like there's not, there's not really a, a world there to, to retcon even, you know, there's not a lot to, to mess with. You know, I, I know it's, you were sort of referencing, it sounds like the Obi-Wan Kenobi show where everyone's like, oh, but now <laughs> with the last time they met, you know, it was like a few years ago. It was like last week when we fought at this, <laughs> you know, down the street or whatever. There's not, yeah, there's, there was so much they couldn't expound on here and i think it's it's going to be interesting to see how they do that especially picking it up so many years later you know having having warwick davis at front and center i'm sure you know i I have faith that it's going to be interesting it's it's i have no clue what the mission really is so i think 
that's good. I think that that they're they're keeping that close to the chest. It shows it shows to me sort of a confidence in the product that they have, I guess. And uh, yeah, I yeah, one th- one thing with this one is Ron Howard's there. And I can't imagine he's not talking to Lucas because he clearly talked to Lucas when he was doing solo. He'll have more control over this one than he ever did with solo. And Ron Howard's, I'm, I'm not going to put him as amazing. He's competent. Like right. he, he can get the job done. He doesn't usually blow you away, but he can get the job done. And so this one, like all these characters, I look at these character names. I don't know who these people are. Yeah. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. You know, as far as show show creator like show runners and so on jonathan kasdan is doing some of the episodes for this one yeah i think he wrote three of them of course he's he wrote solo a star wars story with his dad he's probably the one of the less successful of them of his family as far as writing it's not his fault he wrote dawson some stuff in dawson's creek and so on but of course his brother did jumanji which kind of you know made him a little bigger but Definitely. second unit director for stuff like tarzan and pokemon detective pikachu and like fantastic beasts is working on this one director of the sandman tv show his dark materials and some doctor who stuff is on here that's a plus i don't know this lady's stuff the crown okay so that's that's some bigger stuff uh, shadow and bone okay and what the heck is this skywalker like oh that must be a documentary and then some of the some newer discovery of witches okay that's another big one for this one but the main person involved is john bickerstaff who wrote every episode or worked on every episode and he has written not much but his main thing he's written is before this was grounded which i never saw but he's worked on everything from like Westworld to the romanoffs to wicked city Mad Men. directing wise he directed some of grounded so he hasn't done a ton but when it comes to TV, I'm, I'm t- I tend to be less worried about that sort of things nowadays. I'm just really curious what they're going to do and where they're going to go. And if they can keep the magic there, because if they make it too big, too fast, I think it might hurt. Yeah. Hurt the effect. Do, do you think generally as a, as a fantasy fan who's seen the, you know, the genre change from movies like this in the 80s to now shows like this in, in the 2020s and the 2010s, do you do you think there's a particular medium that feels like a better fit for that genre? Do you think the television maybe just works better because I think has- television works better because they have yeah. to show they they have more time to tell a story, but they also have to show some restraint. Right. Um, they don't have to like earn all their money back in you know one go. Yeah, and so with the, and they also have a, a bigger chance for success because they're going to be on streaming versus TV. And this is something different for Lucasfilm. The first non-Star Wars thing they've worked on since uh, yeah, Indiana yeah. Jones. Yeah. Well, no, no, they did Strange Magic, which. I'll forgive them for. My kids <laughs> yeah, they have, like that movie. They have Indy 5 sort of, you know, and what is that, next year, I think. So and Lucas did do his fairy musical just before he left. Um, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I, I want to see where they're going to go with this one. I want to see how, how they expand the story, but just let us in and let us have some fun with it. Let us see where they're going to go. And uh, I don't know, don't, don't be afraid to just have fun. Also, don't be afraid to recast if you have to, because... I, I, I've seen recasting work really well. And since mm-hmm. most of the people who are going to see, well, who have opportunity to see this now have not seen the original, I don't think they're going to really be, they're going to be really, you know, adherent to that. Especially yeah. if it's Val Kilmer. Everyone knows what's going on. Okay, everyone should know what's going on with Val Kilmer. Well, thanks to Top Gun Maverick, I think most people now know what's going on with Val Kilmer if they didn't already. 
That's true. That is true. Yeah. It, it's it's yeah, it's funny that this movie came out, did was underperformed and then became a cult classic. And because I feel like like you're saying, I think that actually bodes well for the show because it has it has less pressure. Like we Willow fans like us are just so happy to have anything Willow that we're like, okay, I, I'm down. Let's, <laughs> let's see what they do with it. And then people who are like, what's that? Willow? Never heard of it. Disney Plus has something though, so I'll watch it. You know, and I think that that they can kind of hopefully please both audiences at the same time. My only concern, I think, is with the the trailer that they released, that it seems a little darker in tone because the movie does have a certain irreverence to it that is very, you know, very uh, indicative of 1980s filmmaking specifically with certain way, the way that the, you know, the kid stuff that you sort of mentioned and sort of the blending of that and the darkness and in the story and the theme. So I, I worry that they'll lean into too much of the darkness and try and make it more like the Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings projects. And well, remember, this movie did start with a lady being ripped apart by dogs. Yeah. Yeah. So I, there's I darkness know. in it. It's true. But Absolutely. I think that trailer though was there just to show us that Willow's actually happening. Cause yeah. they talked about it for so long. Yeah. I have a feeling the next trailer is going to show us a bit more of, the life in it. Yeah. I do think though it's gonna I'm I'm gonna miss James Horner's music. Definitely. I mean I'm sure they'll they'll use, you know, they'll probably use some of the main themes here in addition just, to whatever original score. Because you can't really replace them. I mean, there's some projects that you're gonna have scores soon, you know, like Avatar 2 is coming up. That you're just gonna miss Horner because Horner is Horner. And we'll see where they go with that particular with with that particular strand. But as far as Disney goes, you know, plus if this does well, it bodes well for like Disney owns the rights to the entire Pride and Chronicles, which Black Cauldron's one of. They haven't done anything with it. They even yeah. renewed it like six years ago. They haven't done anything with it. this. You know, if that does well, they but the bodes well for stuff like bringing back Pride and Chronicles, making live action versions of like Atlantis, because you know it didn't do that well on on thing. But if they can show that they can do it this way, they they can bring it back and do well when you know atlantis or treasure planet you know stuff like that that didn't do as well in theaters and they're kind of scary to redo because it's not beating the beast right but if this shows that they can do it Which and we- i think will is a good place to start because it has bigger name recognition than a lot yeah. of those ones and and also those animated films that you mentioned they have had 20 years to develop fans so now there are people who grew up with atlantis and treasure planet that are like oh that's that's atlantis was my jam you know, meanwhile, some of us are, are you know, ne- you know, I actually still haven't seen Atlantis. That's one of the ones that's one of my Disney blind spots that I still have. So I, I, I think that there's more potential in those projects than remaking all the ones that everyone loves. I, I, not financial, <laughs> not financial potential, which is why they're not doing it. But I think there's more creative potential there to do that. And so, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I'd love to see more of that brought to light and less of the remaking the movies everyone has seen 4,000 times. How many seasons would you, would you personally think we, this would, this, this should get? You think they're going to go one and out or you think they want to go multiple seasons? I think it depends on the reception. I think it's going to be Disney so far, everything Disney plus has, has sort of kind of hedged its bets and everything is promoted as a limited series until it's not. Uh, <laughs> you've seen that with Star Wars, with Marvel, yep. where they're like, this is a limited series. Oh, just kidding. Here's the second season of, you know, Loki obviously particularly ended with a key cliffhanger for season two. But some of them sort of 
could go either way. Obi-Wan is another example where now they're like, are they, are we doing it? Maybe. I don't, do you want it? So I think it, it's either way we're getting, you know, a, a much longer, more developed story. Like even if this is considered a sequel to the film and it's all we get, it's, it's a lot of, a lot more content than we would have gotten with the regular feature and a lot more world, world building as, as you're, and as you're saying, there's a lot of opportunity to ex- expand on some of these, some of these stories. And, you know, one, another cool thing they're going to do is it just follows the same, like that, what other Lucasfilm series have done. The end credits is going to have some awesome art in it. Mm-hmm. I'd really like to see some of that because Willow has a lot of cool designs that they haven't really used very much. And I do hope, though, that now that they can do them really prettily, you know, like really well, I hope they don't kind of get rid of some of the jank of it. Because one of the things that I know, I'm going to use Doctor Who as an example, that people don't like necessarily about modern Doctor Who is, now they can do good effects. Some of the old school jank and cheese of it is gone. Mm-hmm. But if they can still keep some of that, I think it would go a long way. Because, you know, like, yes, they can do Eberisk a lot better. You know, he was more than they could chew at the time. With, you know, the mat, you know, trying to get him on there. It doesn't really fit on their screen. They can do that better, but keep some of the jank, keep some of the weirdness of it. Right. Especially of the effects. And I think it would go a long way. And please don't overdo the morph. Don't have like 70 morphs in the first episode, please. (laughs) (laughs) All they want is the morph. All they want. No, no, please don't. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's sort of the same, the same kind of thing with the, the gremlins, you know, reboot or their sequel, whatever the hell they are. If they, are they actually doing a third film? It feels like I, every other week I hear something different. Like it's constantly. Well, there's a TV show coming out. Yeah. The animated like HBO max thing. That uh, one, yeah, I don't know if that's for me. I mean, I'd love to see a third film, but I would worry it that they to have would, that jank. <laughs> yeah, I guess exactly. Like, I would worry it would have, you know, all the the, the gremlins would be CG or something now, and it's like in that's, in a very like a silent way. Can't do that. That's like that's the point of them is that the part of the so much of their appeal is tied up in the fact that they are puppets or they're animatronics or whatever. Like. You know, I I did a whole on my other show. Not only we're we doing the Muppets now, which is very puppet heavy, obviously, but I did the the Child's Play movies. You can't have Chucky be CG. Like nobody wants that. <laughs> like the whole yeah. point is the craft is that is is the the practical effects. So I would hope that they would know that with a, a project like this. And obviously, they're gonna there's gonna be some CG. We're not naive. This is the world we live in. But yeah. like find a balance and i think some of the star wars stuff the more recent star wars stuff has found that balance more so than the prequels where it's just cg over overload i think that the disney plus series have sort of towed that line a little more delicately so i i'm hopeful that that it'll it'll be you know that it'll, it'll strike that that balance but we'll we'll see i mean i guess we'll find out in november and you know another thing you want me to try to sell people on seeing the original willow yeah a you know i would I I'll put it the way I just saw Thor Love and Thunder the other day and I got out and my watch like this is I'm done in two hours including trailers what is this Willow is not a long movie right. <laughs> it's fun for what it is it doesn't overstay its welcome it's not one that will you know you'll sit there and like grow cobwebs as you're watching else you know Lord of the Rings marathons can be a long time mm-hmm. I, I've had trouble even now I love Return of the King sit, like sitting through the Return of the King in any single sitting now that I have kids impossible <laughs> yeah, it's at least two. This is a two-hour movie. It moves. It tells a complete story. It is relatively safe for kids. I'd say, I don't know, six or seven or above. 
I um, showed my five-year-old and like I said, and she was, there were some moments she was a little scared at, but we, you know, we were sitting there watching it with her and, and then she had, you know, if there was anything we needed to intervene on, we would have done so, but she sat there for the two hours and was pr- pretty invested in it. So, uh, you know, if, I think that's, a if they can watch story. stuff like Teen Titans go, they can handle this movie. <laughs> yeah. Or like Goosebumps. What's some other things they could be watching now? Yeah. If they can handle Goosebumps, Jumanji, that episode, they can handle this movie. It's yeah. two hours has a great score has Val Kilmer in his quirky prime has Warwick Davis doing what he does best. It has some good humor. It has some cheesy 80 line, 80s lines has some great armor designs, great action. Maybe I won't say great, a good action. Cause when I think of great, there's some crazy things they could do nowadays, like into the Badlands style. That'd be kind of cool. And it doesn't overboard the jink. Like this isn't like warriors of virtue where it's just too much. Yeah, this, this one toes that line really well. It's one of those nostalgic films that when you go back and revisit, you're like, oh, this is, yeah, still good. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, you, it's you know, still good. Take it's something out of their- New Zealand. It's yeah. filmed in New Zealand. So it's like, oh, this is already yeah. fantasy because that's where all the fantasy is filmed. You know? That's, yeah, the home of, that's Middle Earth itself. I mean, you <laughs> Middle know. Earth, Narnia was filmed there as well. Yelling. That's where they film. And it's good. It's good. And, I think Ron Howard going back to stuff that makes him comfortable is, is is a good thing. I don't know how much say he's going to have in the whole thing overall. I think he's probably just going to oversee it and then yeah, step back. Yeah, and be like, yeah, that's that sounds good. Sign off on it. And if they yeah. do good in season one, I'm definitely okay with where they go because this is placed 20 to 30 years after the movie. A Laura Dan is an adult. Hopefully not the type of adult she was in the books, but okay. Well, not really an adult. Wait, what, 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 what happens in the, the Reader's Digest version of what happens in the books? Because I obviously, she's, they don't She's exist. just kind of very snobby. We'll put it that way. Okay. But yeah, and I want one thing I do, I am curious to see is what the newer audience is going to say about this because I always get heartbroken when people review the movie. You know, I say you should watch this movie, it's gonna be fun, and then they review it and they rip it apart. And it's like this movie sucks. I'm sorry, it hurt my soul. But I'm really curious what people are gonna think about it. Cause like I, I haven't wanted to look at the comments on the trailer because that trailer, the only thing that I cared about it was the fact that it said Willow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's where we're The trailer itself There's was not Willow the most exciting thing. Yeah. The fact that it said Willow was exciting. I'll, I'll wait till they get, you know, do the real trailer. But this is the 80s fantasy movie. You know, it's better than Legend. I'd say it's better than Dragonheart. Even I know some people have a soft spot for that one. It's better than Lady Hawk, Conan, Black Cauldron, you know, Labyrinth. I, 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 okay, it seems like if people like Lucasfilm movies from the 80s, that's not Star Wars. They're either in the Labyrinth camp or the Willow camp. I am firmly in the Willow camp. Yeah, yeah. Labyrinth. I um, I've seen Labyrinth maybe a couple times. I've seen this a bunch more, especially especially as a kid. Like this definitely stuck with me a lot more. I don't know if it's. I think it's just the Lucas. It has that Lucas vibe to it. It has a very like, if Star Wars, you know, Star Wars is in space. This is like in a fantasy world. It, it's it feels like a similar a similar influence, and I think it, it's that definitely you can you can sniff that out sort of subconsciously as a kid. I think. And if you like Xena and Hercules, you know, the 90s for shows, this, like, they can, they play pulled straight from this. And they're also filmed in New Zealand. You know, yeah. they, they definitely yeah. pulled their vibe from this. You can tell. And so, in one thing for sure, watch the current version, the Blu-ray one. It's, it cleans up a little, some of the jank to the point where, you know, like, the, the matte lines are gone, which is a plus. But it's, it's beautiful. It looks really good. They have old school effects. They have new effects, new for the 80s. 
And I think it's just one you're just going to have a lot of fun with. And it, But it, I will warn you, if your fantasy is not for you, don't try to force this on you. This is not Lord of the Rings. If you like a lot more fantasy than just Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, give it a try. If you only like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, this probably will not appeal to you very well because it is not that type. This is not an Academy Award winning filmmaking like Peter Jackson did. You're not mm-hmm. going to watch this movie and be like, that person's performance is going to win an Oscar. No. no it, did, it did get nominated for Oscars. I think it won one. It, it was nominated for uh, sound effects editing and visual effects, and it lost both to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which, you know, fair. Yeah. It did get nominated for an, uh, a Razzie, too, which is two Razzies. But for you know, wait, um, for what? In what categories? We're supporting actor for Billy Barty. He's oh, and he got a, he's and also a Masters screenplay. of the Universe, too, which is another movie I grew up with that's not nearly as good as this, but I'm like, yeah, I remember him from that film as well. And and we're screenplay. So he lost to us here. Worst, we're screenplay with the cocktail. Oh, poor Tom Cruise. <laughs> and we're supporting actor went to Dan Aykroyd and Caddyshack, too. Ah, okay. <laughs> he was up against Richard Crenna in Rambo 3, Christopher Reeve in Switching Channels, and Harvey Keitel in Last Temptation of Christ. Wow. And okay. our screenplay was Cocktail, Mac and Me, Hot to Trot, Rambo 3, and Willow. Man, I've heard of three of those movies, and I like three of those movies. That's, that says a lot about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I wouldn't put, well, worst is a little harsh. It's like, geez. But yeah, that's a, that's well, remember, a they, they put like, They've been nominated like Revenge of the Sith for Razzies too. I'm like, there's a lot worse movies in Revenge. The Razzies are are a complete joke. The Razzies, <laughs> the whole thing. Though. They're supposed to be a joke. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah, but, I, I I think yeah. I sort of piggyback off of your your answer there. I think yeah. If anyone that has has seen like you said, Legend and Labyrinth, Never Ending Story, I would definitely yep. say Return to Oz would be the next one. If you've if you've seen Willow but not yeah. Return to Oz because of Jean Marsh, because she's like so terrifying and compelling in both more so here because she has a lot more screen time here mm-hmm. and and yeah very much so it's it's I, I you know there's there's something special about these 80s fantasy and in, in sci-fi like i would even put like flight of the navigator in that camp things like that yeah. uh, really really strong a lot of those that i just mentioned are either streaming on you know netflix or hbo max or on disney plus so people and have one thing act- this one is it made such an effect in me that so my dad died probably six seven years ago one of the things when he died that's anything you need one of his I'm like will of the game i put that as first thing like really out of everything you want willow yep i need the game i've not gotten it yet because shipping it to me shipping games is a weird they don't fit in boxes any like, mm-hmm. especially 80s ones like they don't they're too wide for well they're just too big for some of the boxes you can ship in. but uh, yeah willow the game was definitely number one of what i i wanted because i played that game so much and they've never made another game like it i've never seen another game like it ever mm-hmm. and i just have had so much on that one i even tried making my own version of that game with other books and you know i think that game actually started my love of board games like if you look at my shelf near me it's full of board games a lot of them fantasy style games like i mean i'm a fantasy like stratego oh wow and willow the game started that love of me just loving board games especially you know crazy ones and I, i'm not the biggest fan of stuff like you know, Balderdash or something, but I do like games like, like what games do I have over here? Castle Panic, Horrified, Fantasy Stratego. I have lots of risky games. You know, those games like that were, yeah, I, I love it because of this Willow board game that came out in 1988. I did a screw up playing sometimes against myself. 
It's not supposed to be played that way, but I've done it. <laughs> what is it about the Willow board game that's made such an impact on you? Like about the gameplay, I guess. Like it's just a weird diverse way you can play because you know you're either the bad guys or the good guys. You can it's uh-huh. two to six players. You either so there's two bad guys and there's four good guys. And the good guys are trying to collect all these magical objects before the bad guys can catch them. And uh-huh. so the objects are at different locations and, and then take them to Tira's lean to win. Okay. And the bad guys are basically trying to stop them. And it was just, there's just so many different ways you can play it and so much fun you can have with it. You know, you level up when you defeat the battles. The more monsters you battle, the more higher up you can make your character. It was just, I don't know, just inspired a, a, a love of complex board games that I just always kept. And now I wish I could play a lot more of them, you know, more time yeah. to play. I don't have it, but someday I will, which do I say my, tell myself. Yeah, eventually. Everything's out there. I have the magic of the <laughs> internet. You can find it somewhere. No, but that's that's so cool that that Willow is, was like a kind of a gateway, you know, film for you in, in a lot of ways and, and it's remained such a, a comfort thing. I think that's that's the cool thing about movies is that, you know, something that, you know, someone would have seen Willow maybe as a kid and it, for, for whatever reason didn't resonate with them. And then for you, it made this huge impact and sort of changed the, you know, shifted your, your interest in entertainment and in gaming and in movies and in the kind of it, the kind of media you seek out. I love that. And I, and I think that's, that's so cool. And I agree. This is, it's a really fun, fun movie. And it's a, it's a good sort of, I think, like you said, I think five, six, seven is a good age to sort of introduce this to kids. And then who knows from there, you know, they might, they might really get into these kinds of stories. It's, there's so much going on here. There's so much packed in as far as different archetypes and different types of characters and different types of adventures. And, and you know, in, within two hours, it's really, it's really compressed down a lot of the, the, you know, trappings of the fantasy genre. I agree. I agree. And it, give it a chance. See if you like it. If you don't like it, don't force yourself to watch the TV show. Don't I should, I've never been anyone to hate watch something just because they think they might like it eventually. It doesn't, it does not how things work, but I had a lot of fun with this one. And, you know, (laughs) I I had done a fun that I, you know, watched it on HBO recorded VHS for a long time, which is, you know, there's VHS and then there's HBO recorded VHS. (laughs) Yeah. There's different levels of tracking is a a problem. (laughs) Young kids are like, what the hell is tracking? And I'm like, you'll see, look it up children. Someday you'll see. (laughs) And it's a gem from the eighties that helped make me who I am. And I, you know, I love fantasy and Willow was definitely one of my first ones that really attached to and helped me attach to read a lot of books. And I read fantasy, I'm the fantasy series I read every year. And I'm looking forward to November. My birthday is in November. Be a good birthday present. Or oh, there you go. My birthday. Oh, late November, your birthday? Oh, okay. Early, early November. Ah, you're getting, yeah, yeah. Late, yeah, late, yeah, late birthday present. The end of the, your birthday month, you can you can ring yeah. in with with this one. But yes, now this the this was a great conversation, Jeremiah. I'm so glad we were able to to connect over Willow, and <laughs> tell people where they can find you on social media, and if they see Willow, where they can you know yell at you if they don't like it, or or you know share the share the love. I guess hopefully the latter. So uh, I guess I'll share. I'm on Twitter. I actually have a I have a a podcast. Well, it's not really the podcast, it's a YouTube channel now called uh, on Twitter. I believe it's called, what did I call myself on here? Sorry, I've changed my name. Fanitarium Pod. So Fanitarium Pod, F-A-N-I-T-A-R-I-U-M-P-O-D. And that's me on Twitter. And then on YouTube, you can find me. The channel is Let's Talk, but there's a lot of people say Let's Talk. So if you type in Let's Talk Spoop, that's one of the shows we do where we talk about trashy horror films, like trashy horror films. As in like, we're watching every film by the asylum right now. Oh, wow. 
every film by this time. We actually have a randomized wheel at the end where we just like spin and say, what, when are you going to watch next? Five-headed shark attack? Okay, let's go. And, you know, I, I, we talk about streaming there and, you know, DC and, and so on. There's a lot of stuff on there that my friends and I put on there. And if you want to send a comment or you can send me an email, it's Nathos B-A-N-E-N-A-T-H-O-S at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you like Willow, send it my way. I, I really would love to hear someone say they discovered Willow because of this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think it's 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 nice that it's getting a a resurgence. And so, if nothing else, even if the the new show is is hot garbage, uh, it'll still be Willow. First of all, and secondly, it will lead people back to this movie. So I think that's it's already kind of doing its job. But yeah, this was a blast, and we'll we'll definitely we'll definitely connect a lot sooner than than this (laughs) this took to happen. Well, to be fair, COVID happened, and then COVID happened, and then life happened, and then oh god, I know there's a lot of there's a lot of back and forth of like, oh yeah, my my daughter has COVID now, so I have COVID now. Yeah, 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 a lot of that. A lot of that back and forth. But we'll definitely get you either on either this or or my sister's show, Franchise Detours, at some point soon. So maybe sometime we can talk Atlantis. Me and yeah, make you there watch you it. There you go. There you go. I will mark it down. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Big thanks to Jeremiah Stewart for coming on to discuss 1988's Willow. At this point, it kind of feels like a relic of a different version of Hollywood, of family entertainment, where this kind of thing was consistently coming out. You know. We talk a lot about this show about practical effects. I mean, on the other one, we're doing the Muppets right now. So a lot of puppetry and a lot of uh, stop motion and things like that. And I think Willow is a great example of how that can be used quite effectively. And I want to know, have you seen Willow? What is your history with Willow? Have you, did you see that as an, as an early age? Like I did. Did you discover it a little bit later in life? As uh, Jeremiah did, let me know. You can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table, the same handle on Instagram, via email at robert at crookedtable.com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. In the meantime, keep watching, everybody. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of a little KED.